Welcome to another Alive at Springwood podcast, brought to you by Springwood Presbyterian Churches, where we don't believe churches are buildings. Churches are people. Disciples of Jesus bound together in diversity by God's love, while pursuing faithfulness and vulnerability, celebration and lament, reading the Bible and prayer. May you be encouraged and God glorified by this edition. I've had a few weeks to think about it, but during this week, I've spent a lot of time because I realised I had a lot to learn. And I'm really grateful for that. I'm especially grateful to a couple of books that I have only just discovered. Some of you might know them already. One of them's by Timothy Lane, and it's called Living Without Worry, How to Replace Anxiety with Peace. Great name for a book. The other one also has a great name. It's called Fight, Flight and Faith. It's by an Australian woman called Nikki Florence Thompson, and it's quite new. It's been written during the COVID time, uh, and I'll read you a couple of things from it a little while. But I learnt a lot for both of those books as well. So the news from Ukraine is heartbreaking and unthinkable. I've had several messages from friends of mine who are involved with the Langham Partnership who are there. Two beautiful girls in particular in their 20s who I spent that week in Cyprus with when I got to spend time with a lot of Langham people from around the world. And on Thursday morning, before dawn, four o'clock for me, I spent a mostly tearful hour with a dozen Langham friends from around the world, hearing from one of the members of our board who's deeply involved in Eastern Europe, including both the countries involved in this conflict, and who told us such deeply distressing and frightening details that he is hearing from inside Ukraine. And then we prayed together. Tomorrow night, there'll be another opportunity for me to do that with a lot of people as well. But from our friend on Thursday, we heard of seminaries being taken over by invading forces, because if you think about seminaries, they're all on the outskirts of towns and cities. And what do they have? They have dormitories, they have kitchens, they have meeting rooms, they have all the things that an invading army wants. And so in the uh, beginning of the conflict in 2014, That's what they saw a number of times in those cities. Uh, In one particular case, with a very large seminary, the faculty were given 24 hours to be out, and then they moved in, and then they burnt the library. And that's fully what they're expecting to happen in a lot of places. And if you think about it, most of the students and faculty of seminaries are between 18 and 60, many of them men, and they're the very people likely to be conscripted. And so, you know, that, that's just part of it. And while we were praying, we had a particular um, message, heartfelt message, because it was daytime in the Northern Hemisphere, um, please pray immediately right now for a convoy of 70 minibuses of women and children who've been gathered together by the churches who are on their way to the border but have now been turned back by a tank battle. So please pray right now. Makes it really real, doesn't it? Really, really real. This happens, of course, in many places around the world, just that we don't watch it moment by moment in the same way. And then there's been news about southern Queensland and the whole of the northern rivers. For us, our hearts have been in Lismore, where Ian's sister lived for many, many years, and where we've spent lots of time. We know those roads. We know those shops. We've been into them. 
And this week we've followed the news of people trapped in their roof spaces, trying to kick their way out so that they might sit on top of the roof and then be rescued and wait for rescue to come, and sometimes it didn't. It's just unbearable. And then they, we waited and watched what they now graphically call the rain bomb. Have you noticed that? Um, to hit us or those near us, and now mass flooding. And people, I know, many of you here know people who right now have been inundated. Uh, and to people that are just drying out after the last time. And COVID numbers are climbing, and we hardly even hear about that anymore, do we? But lots of people are sick. The marriage of dear friends of ours came to uh, an end this week. And I'm conscious that we're not hearing anymore about the Tonga recovery or the situation in Afghanistan or, and Burkina Faso and all of the things that are happening in other places around the world. I wonder if I'm the only one here who's found in myself this week, more than most weeks, some signs of anxiety that are not always present. I've realised as I've listened or watched the news or even waited for the news to come that my stomach's been churning a bit and my breathing's become shallower than usual. My face feels a bit flushed. There's an encircling cloud of doom that follows me around and I still get to live in my comfortable warm house. Actually, nothing is happening that is affecting me right now in my own life here. I'm also conscious that some of us here and many people that we love live with deep anxiety as a constant and or at least frequent unwelcome companion. So in the midst of all this, Jesus, when we read Jesus' words, therefore do not worry, it can be a bit confronting. <laughs> First hearing, it sounds a bit insensitive. What's he really saying? First to the first hearers and now to us. And importantly, what is he not saying? Because like lots of things in the Bible, these words have sometimes been used badly and sometimes felt like a weapon to people who are precious and hurting. Well, what is going on here? The words are from the Sermon on the Mount, which John Stott described as the nearest thing to a manifesto that Jesus ever uttered. They're important words that bear very frequent reading and considering. This passage begins with that great little word, therefore, and so then we have to ask, what's that there for? Because it'll be there for a reason. In the, and we look before it, at the passages that come before. And just in the, in the same chapter earlier, some great truths are discussed. And, we, and his hearers, Jesus' hearers, and now we, are asked to make some decisions, big decisions, about what is really important. What do we treasure? On what do we set our heart Will we live in the darkness or the light? Who do we serve? I really recommend going back and reading the rest of this chapter during this week to come. Because it's when we've made those decisions to treasure that which doesn't fade or rot, to set our heart on things that really matter, to live in the light and not the darkness, and to serve the one who deserves our devotion it's when we've done that, then we can seek his kingdom as the first and most important thing and let some of the worries that overtake us subside into the place where they belong, rather than being the focus of our attention and concern. It's important because it's how we know if we really have made the decision to put God where he deserves to be 
as the king of the kingdom that we belong to. Jesus is saying, therefore, when he says, therefore, don't worry about your life, he's saying because the one you have chosen to follow, who has given you life, cares about you and you can trust him. That's the context. But it also seems really important to me to talk about some of the things that Jesus is not saying. We know Jesus through the words of the Bible. We have the whole gamut of the things that he said in his life. And if we were to take just one little phrase, take it out of context, it cannot do him the justice that he deserves. So let's think about what he's not saying. He's not saying, don't think about anything, don't show concern when it's needed. That would be ridiculous. And Jesus didn't say ridiculous things. There are lots of things about for us to be concerned about, and rightly so, to act wisely about. Here's a scenario I read this week. I was in a Bunnings car park strapping my two-year-old into the car while my baby daughter waited in the pram next to me. As the belt clicked into place, I turned to grab the pram but instead got a handful of air. My heart leapt out of my chest as I looked up to see her rolling away, already a few metres away from me and a van on course to collide with the pram. I yelled and immediately ran to rescue her, and thankfully the driver of the van had seen us too and slowed down in time. It all happened in an instant, but it took a while for my heart rate to decelerate and the tremble in my hands to settle. Jesus is not saying in an emergency, don't worry, just be happy, it's okay. Paul writes about his legitimate concern for the churches. You can find it in 2 Corinthians 11:28. He says, "Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches." They're his friends, aren't they? In a way, they're his babies. You know, I'm just reading um, some 1 Thessalonians where Paul describes himself as both mother and father to those churches. He loves them. Eugene Peterson translates that verse as, and that's not the half of it, when you throw in the daily pressures and anxieties of all the churches. It's legitimate concern, but it's not a million miles from worry, is it? But Jesus, who wept over Jerusalem, who cared enough to do that, he would absolutely get the import of what Paul is saying in these words. Deep concern comes from deep love. We're concerned for our children, aren't we, and for our ageing friends and parents. We show it by wearing masks when we visit, by deliberating long and hard about the decisions we sometimes have to make for their care. We show it when we turn to dependent prayer, understanding that God is God. That's legitimate concern. That's not what Jesus is saying. Don't care about anything, just drift along as if nothing means anything. Nor is he saying that it's a sin to suffer from anxiety. Sadly, that's the message that is sometimes being communicated and sometimes off the back of these words. No, anxiety, sometimes described in terms of generalised anxiety disorder or other subgroups of that, is real and disabling burden for many people and it needs to be taken seriously and the help that is out there needs to be sought and sometimes people need help to to seek it. People who live with this reality in their lives and in the lives of people they love need our compassion, our kindness and understanding and certainly not to be shamed or diminished because of it. So as I said, I read this wonderful book this week 
Fight, Flight and Faith by Nikki Florence Thompson. Let me read just a little bit of how it, it felt to her one day, early in her time of, um, of anxiety. She begins the book by saying, my name is Nikki and I'm an anxious Christian. And that's what the book then goes on to explore. Uh, she, she discusses something in here. It was the first time that panic overtook her. Later, she would come to know it as panic disorder, so she calls it PD. I was 20 years old and in my second year of university, sitting on our living room couch watching television when PD first visited me. Of course, I knew nothing of PD's identity then, certainly not its initials. We were complete, complete strangers, PD and me, which I suppose gave it even more power. The storm of anxiety came seemingly out of a clear sky day and I was suddenly in its eyeball. Mum and Dad were just up the stairs in the kitchen. I could hear them talking. Their voices weren't alarmed or unusual. Everything was always as it had been. And, but I may as well have been completely alone. I was helpless, or so I was convinced. Before a force of such intense physical power, I felt like the only way to escape would be to run with all my might. Flight. Heat flooded my body. The muscles in my legs felt painfully tight. The sour taste of adrenaline surged up my throat. My heartbeat sped up like I was suddenly in a race car spinning out of control, off track. I felt nauseous, dizzy, sick. I wanted to make it go away. I would have done anything, anything to feel normal. Fight. On top of all this, I felt disconnected, like suddenly I was above my body watching it all and I'm unable to help myself, except, as I said, I was sitting on the couch watching television. My friend Sarah rang to talk and somehow I managed to speak actual decipherable words to her. I asked if we could go out somewhere. Um, maybe, I thought rapidly, panic made my thoughts speed, speed up, a change of scenery would help. I didn't yell, yet, sorry, I didn't yet tell my parents anything. I didn't know what was wrong with me, but I definitely didn't want to worry them. A tiny part of me too, a part that would grow as PD and I travelled further along together, felt ashamed. What do we think that Jesus would say to Nikki in the middle of that experience? Would the words be, don't worry? Don't worry. No, Jesus, of course he wouldn't. Jesus is not saying it's a sin to suffer from this illness. So what is Jesus talking about then? Because there is a third kind of worry. Lack of trust in God or putting other things in the place where God belongs. That's what he's talking about. It's getting so distracted by daily earthly concerns that we forget that we became, when we became kingdom people, we put our trust in Jesus. And this is where I'll tell you about Timothy Lane's book. In his book, he talks about it's not concern, it's over-concern. It's not loving something, it's over-loving it. Even good things sometimes. It's acting as if everything's up to me. I've got to, by worrying about it, I've got to make it be okay. I've sometimes said that it, I, on a plane, quite often feel like it is my job to keep the plane in the air with my anxiety. If I let it go, then it'll all be over. You know? <laughs> um, but that's, and of course, that's ridiculous. But even some of the things that we're likely, or it's possible for us to overlove, our job. Even our family, our spouse, our child. 
what about our reputation? Or he describes your moral record, that is your performance. Am I a good girl? Am I a bad girl? Talking about that to myself over and over and over. So job, spouse, children, reputation, moral record, they're all good things. But if they become the total focus, if they take the place of God, that's when we get into trouble. And actually, the truth is, when we over-love like that, when we over-concerned like that, we become anxious again. It feeds itself and, ironically, can even do harm to those very things that we're trying to, to that we're worrying about by our fretting. And there's no point, is there? Because none of us can get any taller or live a day longer than we think we will anyway by our worrying. What Jesus is saying is you can trust God who has allowed you to call him Father. We're in God's family when we put our trust in him. To take him he will take care of our needs just as he does for the birds and the flowers. I was standing in my back garden during the week in a short... I was standing because there was nowhere to sit that wasn't in a puddle, you know, drenched. There I was for... It was a short time when it wasn't actually raining and I was absolutely delighted to find that a whole flock of little eastern spinebills had come to visit our garden and they were ducking and diving and chattering to each other as they searched for food in the mostly native flowers in that part of our garden. They didn't sit and wait for it to come. They had to go out and find it, but they were, and it looked to me like they were having a ball while they were doing it. A little bird had a very special ministry in our home group last week. So our beautiful friend, Michaela, who is just sitting there, had been having a really tough time. She's having a ridiculously tough time, I think, because in her important work in a chemist shop, it turns out that some belligerent people have been taking it out on the people who are working, the chemists, when they feel angry, upset, frightened, I think, about what's going on in the time of COVID. Michaela's had such a hard time that it's the, um, the kind people in the chemist shop are really just, you know, not enjoying their jobs at all. And last week, after a specially horrible day, Michaela sat down on a bench outside their house just out of the rain and a fluffy little grey bird hopped down from somewhere and sat right beside her and then stayed there for a really long time, hopped around her feet, hopped up on the bench, hopped up on the, the planter beside where she was and absolutely lifted her heart as she focused on that little bird lifted our hearts too when she told it with such, in such a beautiful way at our home group last week. John Stott was a lifelong bird watcher. He called it ornithology. He said, we have so much we can learn from birds. And I love this quote. He said, I know that bird watching is regarded by some as a rather eccentric pastime. They view the likes of me with quizzical amusement, but I claim biblical warrant for this from Jesus himself, look at the birds of the air, he said, and that's what I love to do. <laughs> I love that. He also quoted a beautiful quote from Martin Luther in his book on the, the Sermon on the Mount, and Martin Luther wrote this, Jesus is making the birds our schoolmasters and teachers. Whenever you listen to a nightingale, therefore, you are listening to an excellent preacher. Can you hear this one outside? As, it's as if he was saying, I prefer to be in the Lord's kitchen every day. See? Look. 
Every day, he feeds and nourishes innumerable little birds out of his hand. God has given us life and made us his children. He lets us call him father. Nobody else gets to do that. He loves the animal kingdom, but they don't get to call him father. We do. So how much more does he notice and care about us? There is enough. He's given enough. And of course, then there's a justice element in this, isn't there? For those of us who have so much, so vastly much more than we need, what we have to do is to pay attention to the needs of others because often that's how God acts in the world, through the actions of his people. So more than any other people, we should care about that because sometimes that's how he'll be looking after someone else. He'll need our generosity to do it. But let's not put all our eggs in the basket of worrying about, of running after superficial things, fretting about our clothes, our food, like people who don't know God, as if that's all there is. You only have to open a magazine, look on social media, look anywhere around you and you see as if that's the most important thing, the food, the clothing, the, the, the peripheral, the, the superficial things, really. Let's instead live out what we know, that God is God and trust him for today. And what else does Jesus say that speaks into our anxious world? He says, don't get ahead of yourself, don't worry about tomorrow. And I can't imagine him saying this without some kind of a wry smile, acknowledging tomorrow has enough troubles of its own. Jesus is not living in some cloud cuckoo land of unreality when nothing ever goes wrong. He knows there could be troubles coming tomorrow. But he says, trust in God. A little later in Matthew 11, Jesus will also say these words, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's not a judgment, it's an invitation. It's an invitation to seeing that God is the one who is trustworthy. Jesus knows that we are tired. He's watched what we've all been through. He's watching what people going through way worse things than we are are going through, and he knows. He gets it. He knows that we are frightened. He knows that this life burdens us, and he asks us to stop us, to stop and hear these words too. Come to me all who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I just want to write, read you another little quote from Nikki's book. After a th She went to see a therapist who she, she had a, the first therapist that was wonderful. She called the wide, wild, what did she call it? The wise woman near the waves, I think. And then this one, the second one she went to see, she just called him the wise man. And he said to her, there is more to you than your anxiety, Nikki. You are not defined by it. And this is what she then wrote in response. It's time to stop battling. It's time to stop trying to be perfect, in your, even in your expectations of your capacity for faith. It's time to trust in Jesus, not yourself. Because it is finished, and because it is finished, even on those days when you feel anxiety baring its teeth and opening its jaws to roar, and you will, again, you don't need to despair or fight or flee, you just need to abide go gently. Rest comes. Isn't it a beautiful truth? 
that when we consider the birds of the air, the flowers of the field, when we go outside and look and listen and see, when we lift our eyes to the good gifts of God in the world around us, and aren't we blessed with so many of them here in the Blue Mountains, we will find rest. Last week, Luke asked us in our lives to open our eyes and look around us and pay attention. Let's, this week, let's consider the birds and the flowers and remember the words of Jesus and know we can trust him. Now, before I finish, I want to show you something to encourage your hearts about what Jesus can do when his people trust in him first and foremost. This enormous book is a whole Bible commentary written by scholars who have spent many years learning about the Bible, PhD scholars, from, it's, a, it's the Slavic Bible commentary. So I can't read it, it's not, this one, this copy of it is not in English, it's now being translated into English. It was written largely by, by scholars from the Ukraine and from Russia together. And in 2014, as they were writing this, the beginning of this war happened. And they made a decision that they were going to keep on doing this together. And they wrote it, and it was published in 2015 or 16, I think. Those Ukrainian scholars are some of the very people that I was talking about at the beginning, who teach in those seminaries. Now, there's a new edition of this that's coming out. It's been particularly contextualised specifically for Russia. There's another version of it that's been contextualised in Kyrgyz, for Kyrgyzstan, and one in Kazakh, for Kazakhstan. They will come out as e-editions. But right now, we know that there are 3,000 printed copies of the new edition of this sitting in a printer's somewhere in Kiev. We will probably never know what happens to those boxes. They're somewhere. We prayed last week that someone would actually open them up and give them to people rather than, you know, that they be bombed to smithereens. But those scholars trusted God and they continue to do so even now. And then I want to finally end with three Facebook posts from my young friend, this beautiful 20, girl in her 20s. She has the most beautiful voice. Her name is Marina. She's just a gem. Um, I, wanted to, I wanted to read you three Facebook posts that came from her on the first three days of the war. So on the very first day, which was the 24th of February, we read this. Oh, don't your hands shake? When, there we are. Putin started a large-scale war in Ukraine this night. The bombings were heard in major cities, including Kiev. Please keep praying for Ukraine. And then she wrote, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Psalm 16, 8. The second day, this is what she wrote. A member of my family became a Christian today. There was an honest conversation with life questions. Am I going to die? I said, you may not know when or how you die, but it's more important, are you going to be with Jesus? Have you trusted your life to Jesus? In the next five minutes, there was a sincere prayer of repentance. Soli Deo Gloria, she says, pray for the revival in Ukraine and Russia along with the prayers for Putin to stop. The light is shining in the darkness. 
And the third day, this is what she wrote. A week ago, I had an image of a man walking along the road with a light in his outstretched arm. There was darkness around him, so the man was able to do each step only because of the light that showed the way. A day later, I found that my colleague had had the same dream. Today, I remembered that image. I realised I and many Ukrainians all over Ukraine are feeling like that man. We live in darkness and uncertainty. We don't know how the next few hours will look like and where to go. Jesus is the light. He is the one who gives us direction to live out the day and make one step at a time. Soli Deo Gloria.